Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. I was enjoying the sunshine that we had this morning because this week it has been kind of crazy weather. And uh, it rained a lot. And, uh, but I heard on the news that this is like the last that winter has to throw at us. Does anybody else get excited about it? It's like, this is like the last thing that winter is going to throw at us. It's, it, guys, it gets better from here, right? And, uh, and I love that. And I, I love the winter for some things, but I love summer because every day you can enjoy summer. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'll tell you who else is looking forward to it. My kids. My kids love summer. And, uh, but my kids are kind of, well, the truth is my kids are kind of crazy. Like a lot of you may not have kids, but they get crazy. Okay. So, so I'll tell you something that happens. My kids will say, dad, can we go to the park? And they'll say this in the middle of winter. And I'll look at them and I'll say, you want to go to the park today? They're like, yeah. And I say, well, do you see how that rain is horizontal out the window? They're like, yeah. And do you see that tree that has been at a 90 degree angle because it's about to snap? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, that means we can't go to the park, guys. But they don't get that. Kids are crazy like that. They don't, they don't get weather, you know. They just, I don't know if they don't understand it. They don't look outside. But they're like this all the time. In fact, my, I'll tell you something. Like when we get ready for school in the morning and my kids will come to the front door and all morning I've been telling them to get dressed and do everything they need to do. And then they get there and I've got this one kid and I'm not going to tell you which one it is, but I have this one child and he gets to the front door and as he arrives, I'm like, why are you in t-shirt and shorts? And he's like, what's the problem? And I'm like, well, the problem is that it's four degrees outside and it's raining. And, and, and he looks at me and here's the weird part. He looks at me like I'm the weird one. <laughs> like he looks at me like I'm extreme. Like dad, you are so crazy. Like it's fine, I'll be fine. Like, you know, I'm not extreme. He just doesn't understand hypothermia. He doesn't understand these things, you know? So he just dresses how he wants to dress. It's like he wishes it was summer. But you know, there really is a point here, which is that you don't dress for the climate you want to be in. You've got to dress for the climate that you're in. Does that make sense? You've got to dress for the climate that you are in, not the one that you wish it was. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you should know, that you are living in a spiritual climate right now. And spiritually speaking, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is an intensity that is being played out on planet Earth right now. There is a spiritual war that's going on. Now, you may not want to be in it. That's fine. I get it. You don't want to be in a war. But that's kind of irrelevant because it's the climate that you happen to be in. So tonight, I want to speak to you about how to dress appropriately for the climate that you're actually in. I'm going to preach a message called What to Wear. Years ago, I left Bible college one night. I was walking out into the car park, and there was this commotion that was going on. Like all this stuff was happening over in the corner, and I couldn't tell what was going on. So I walked over there. I said, I said hey, what's, what's happening? It looks exciting. You know, they said, well, there's this guy over there, and he's freaking out. I said, he's freaking out. Why? And they said, well, 
because he started Bible college, he's afraid that now that he's doing that, the devil will know that he's trying to pursue his calling. So now he's worried that the devil's going to come after him. I said, are you serious? I said, he's freaking out that the devil's going to be able to get at him. He said, yes, that's what he's worried about right now. So I looked over there and I couldn't see anything physically that was happening, but I could see the fear in this guy's eyes. He was worried. And here's the sad part. I never saw him again. He actually quit Bible college that night. We never saw that guy again because he was so intimidated about what might happen. See, spiritual attack isn't less real because you can't see it. It's not less real because you can't see it. And one of the things that we do see is the effects of spiritual attack. For example, you see it when you encounter people that have a spirit of fear. I'm not saying that there aren't going to be things that happen in your life that will make you be afraid. There are things that you're going to be afraid of at some points, but there's a difference when you carry a spirit of fear, when, when, when it's how you live, it's just your perpetual state of being. You, you see the effects of spiritual war and spiritual attack when you see people that live in a perpetual state of anxiety. I'm not saying that there won't be moments where you'll find yourself anxious about one thing or another, but that's different to always being worried, to always being anxious, to overthinking everything that happens and considering every possible outcome and talking yourself out of the things that God may want to do in your life. We see it when we see people that are so insecure that they're not able to put their faith and their identity and their trust in God. So they spend their time trying to make sure that everyone is okay with them because they don't have the boldness and the courage and the tenacity to be who they are in every circumstance and in every season. See, when you start to see people that live like this all the time, you can see that the enemy has been going to work on their soul, has been speaking into their heart and their mind. We see the effects of spiritual war when we look at our culture. We, we see it when we look at our politics. We see the effects of spiritual war all the time. And the apostle Paul understood this. He understood that spiritually, Christians are going to go to war with the devil on the demonic realms at different times. He knew this. So he wrote a letter to the Christians in Ephesus, and you get to read it. It's called the book of Ephesians. It's in the Bible. And he writes a letter to them, helping them to understand the spiritual climate that they were in. The spiritual climate they were in is that the city of Ephesus was a very demonic city. And so he knew that people that were following Jesus in a city that doesn't was going to lead to something. So he starts to explain that spiritual war to them. And I think that's kind of weird, you know, that he would have to explain it to them. Like, don't you think that if you were caught in a war, that you would know about it? Don't you think you'd know? Here's the weird part. People get caught in this war all the time. And they write stuff off as coincidence. You know, 
Not a lot has changed in the thousands of years, the few thousand years since Paul wrote this letter. And Christian people were being caught up in that stuff back then, and they're still being caught up in that stuff today. And I thought, why would people not know that they were caught in a spiritual battle? How could they be in the middle of a war zone and not be aware of it? And the truth is, a lot of the times, we're just distracted with other stuff. I was so busy and fixated on the next bill you've got to pay, the unit course that you're going to, that house deposit that you're just chipping away at, all the things that seem to be so important that they draw your full focus and your attention and your energy that you forget that there is more that's happening around you than just trying to pay the bills and get through life. You know, I think that the truth is we are so busy these days that we don't always stop and take stock of what's going on all around us. And so the, the Apostle Paul, understanding this, he writes this letter to the Christians. I'm going to read it to you out of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. He says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord. I can't tell you how important it is that you understand that first sentence. I can't overemphasize how important it is that you get that. Because there is a big difference between you trying to be strong in your strength and you trying to be strong in the Lord's strength. There is nothing particularly scary about you to the demonic realm until you become filled with the presence and the Spirit of God. And when that happens, everything shifts, but you still have to lean on His strength and not your own. And so it says, lean or be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Not your might, but His might. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Say whole armor. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. In other words, there are going to be moments where you begin to encounter opposition in life. And you're going to think that it's just chance and just coincidence. And you have a string of unlucky events that keep happening to you. And it might be a while before you get it. But suddenly you realize that the reason why you have felt so unlucky over a period of time, especially when you start to engage with church or ministry or you start to take territory or ground spiritually, you start to realize maybe there's something more than just physically what's been happening to me. Maybe something spiritual really is going on. And the truth is, it's probably happening more regularly than you think. And I guess maybe the Ephesian Christians didn't know this. And he's saying, guys, a lot of the wrestles that we have, they're not always against flesh and blood. They're against spiritual forces and things that are happening all around you. And so he says, therefore, take up the whole armor. Say whole armor again. It's interesting that he keeps repeating this phrase, take up the whole armor, because Paul's about to tell you a, a, a whole heap of... Uh, pieces of clothing and armor that you can put on and he's really trying to get you to understand that it's not enough to just put one on. 
Because if you just wear one piece and you neglect everything else, you just leave yourself open and unprotected. So he says, don't do one of these things. He says, you got to do all of these things that I'm about to tell you. So take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on, and here are the things that he tells you need to put on, the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, say all circumstances. That's very encompassing, is it not? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that my words may be, uh, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. At this moment, Paul is writing this letter and he is in prison. So they're not metaphorical chains. He's actually in chains. He's writing it from prison and he's saying that I am here because of what I believe to be true about God. I think what Paul is encountering, encountering is some spiritual attack in his own way. If there was ever a time for Paul to give up this foolishness called Christianity, he would have done it right here. Well, it's not worth dying for. But he seems to be more convinced at this point in his life, more than ever before, that not only is this real, but what he's encountering is spiritual opposition. And that is the reason why physically things are happening to him. That is the reason why he's presently in prison. And when you look at all the things that Paul says to do, that's a pretty exhaustive list. I mean, there's a lot in there. And you might read that and say, that guy is extreme. That seems so extreme. But it's only extreme if you don't understand the climate. It's only extreme if you don't understand the climate that you're in. If you understand the climate that you're in, that looks appropriate to do not just one, but all of the things that Paul says are important. And so we need to understand that what Paul is asking us to do is to get prepared. To get prepared by putting on all these items of clothing. That's what happens in the morning, by the way, when you get dressed as you get prepared for your day. So you lay out all the clothes that you're going to need for the day. And whatever you lay out, that's what you're going to wear for the rest of the day. So you better prepare appropriately. This is why it's so hard to get dressed in Melbourne because we have no idea how the day is going to turn out. You went out wearing shorts, but you went home to get your coat around 11 a.m. because it started raining. So it's kind of hard in Melbourne. But the point is, is that you need to get prepared. Some of you are very good and you get prepared and you lay out your clothes because you prepared adequately. Some of you are not so prepared. So you pick up the clothes that you were wearing yesterday. You sniff the armpit of that thing and you think, I'm getting another day out of this. And, and some of you do. Just, just raise your hand if you're sitting next to somebody that's done that today. No, I'm joking. Don't do that. Oh, that's terrible. It, it's on the other side, Ted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so here's an important point that you need to understand. 
you can't get up in the morning and, and just keep living out this life wearing yesterday's preparation. You can't fight today's battle with yesterday's revelation. And too many people just start preparing and they come to a place in their life where they say, I've gone as far as they want to go. And they keep reaching back for what they understood yesterday or last week and last month. But I'm telling you right now, you're meant to be growing and progressing in your faith. You're meant to prepare today for the day that's in front of you. It's a daily decision to choose what you're going to wear. Let me ask you a question. Are you preparing adequately for the day that's ahead? Because here's what a lot of people will do. They don't prepare adequately. Spiritually speaking, they don't prepare adequately. And they start to get into their day and then they'll face a crisis. And it's amazing how spiritual people get around the crisis. When everything starts to go wrong, they cultivate this incredible spirituality, amazing prayer life. They're going to God and they're storming the heavens, but they're doing it late because they didn't prepare adequately for the thing that was going to come up in that day. See, preparation is about making the decision today to grow and to learn more about God and to hear His voice and read the Scriptures. You're going to come across a situation that demands that you have a Scripture on hand to speak into a circumstance, but it's no good if you haven't prepared. Are you preparing adequately for the day that's ahead or are you just waiting for a crisis to come up before you start to get spiritual? Imagine if you were in a war zone and... You know, you didn't realize it. Let's, let's just say that you didn't look at TripAdvisor and, and you didn't realize it and you ended up in some terrible place. And, and when you get there, you arrive and they give you this little briefing and they said, hey, listen, we just want you to know that you've arrived at a really uh, interesting time in our nation's history where we are currently at war. You're like, what? I didn't know that. Don't know how you missed it, but you did. And so here you are. And they say, all right, so even though there are no bullets being fired at us right now, you should know that the enemy has begun to take positions around the place that we're in right now oh my gosh that's terrible you're right it is terrible and they say well here's what we want to do even though not one single bullet has been fired yet we know that the moment that you step out and start to take ground and start to move forwards that you're going to come under fire so we would like for you to wear this bulletproof vest you're like yeah you better give me a bulletproof vest like come on this is crazy give me that vest you should have already put it on me and while you're at it I'll be taking a helmet. Somebody get me a gun. I need a gun, you know. Uh, I need a weapon. I need to defend myself, right? And, and none of that would look weird. Do you know why it look, wouldn't look weird? Because it's, that's the climate that you're in. See, when, when you're fully kit, kitted out in all that kind of bulletproof vest and helmet and you've got a weapon and, and you're walking around, if you're doing that in a war zone, that doesn't look weird. That looks normal. Imagine if you were decided that you were going to go to Angie's Dumplings at Knox Ozone and you're just sitting there and having a plate of delicious dumplings. And as you're doing that, you see somebody walk past with full tactical gear, with a helmet and like chest plate. They're covered in Kevlar. You can't see their face because it's covered, but they're wearing special goggles and like night vision. And, and, and you would see all of that you would get that meal to go. You would say, I don't know what's going on here, but that's out of place. And now I'm getting out of this place. 
and you would just leave, right? Why? It's weird. It attracts your attention. You wouldn't be the only one. People start pouring out an oxozone. Why? Because someone walked down in clothes that look a little bit strange. In a war zone, it's not weird. It only looks weird in the right kind of environment. And here's my point. When you understand spiritually the climate that you're in, everything that we're reading tonight, it seems appropriate for the spiritual climate you find yourself in. This is not weird. This is not strange. This seems completely appropriate. See, in verse 11, here's what it says. It says that the devil has schemes. That's what we just read, that the devil has schemes. And the original word in in the Greek language is methodeia. And methodeia is where we get the word method from. In other words, the devil has a method. He has process. He has strategy. This is what it means. It means that he works in the cunning arts of deceit and craft and trickery. See, we talk about God having a plan for your day, but the devil does too. He's scheming for how to wreck your life. And the apostle Paul knows this, which is why he says, you need to get dressed for battle. You need to get dressed for battle because you are most vulnerable when you're most comfortable. And I feel like, honestly, spiritually, sometimes we're just too comfortable. We're just too relaxed about some of this stuff. We're just too at peace. So our defenses are down. And we don't think about doing all the things that Paul said because we haven't discerned the environment that we happen to find ourselves in. And so Paul says, I'm going to give you five pieces of armor that you need to put on. By the way, these five pieces of armor are not physical things that Paul actually wants you to put on when you get dressed in the morning. I will not issue you with a stack hat on the way out today because wearing a helmet physically is not exactly what Paul is getting at. His point is that he's going to tell you how to make some lifestyle changes, some lifestyle choices, and no one is going to be forced to do this. You're not forced to do it. You don't have to do it. You can make any decision you want. But the Apostle Paul says, if you start to employ these practices and make these changes, you'll stay under the protection of God. Make any decision you want. But if you don't do these things, you may find yourself stepping out from underneath the protection of God. That's fine. You just have to deal with the consequences that you find when you're on the outside of God's protection. So he says, do these things and watch your life get better. See, just because someone comes and knocks at your door doesn't mean you have to open it. My kids, they're young. And so whenever anybody knocks at the door, they're just so excited that someone's come to see us. So they'll get to the door and they'll open the door, hello. And then after that person is gone, I'll say, hey, did you check who was at the door? I said, no. I said, what if it was a stranger? And, and sometimes it is. I said, what if it was a bad person? Why are you opening the door? You need to check before you open it. And here's my point. If you do what Paul is talking about, you're going to begin to close the doors on a few certain areas that are in your life because you want to shut all the wrong things out and open the door to all the right stuff. This is what Paul is talking about. And he says, I'm going to start here you got to put on the belt of truth. So 
this is the first piece that Paul says to put on. And back, you know, when this, at the time when this was written, Roman soldiers would put on their belt first. And the reason that they would do that is because all the other pieces of equipment would attach themselves to that belt. So the belt had to go on first and it made sure that everything else would then sit in place. The belt of truth. What is that about? Sometimes we just have to start with the orientation of what truth really is. So, so, so let me say something to you tonight that is probably maybe not groundbreaking for you, but God is God the way that the Scriptures say that He is God. Yeah, write that down. Wow. I mean, it might seem overly simplistic, but if you don't lock down that one piece of truth that God is God, if God is not God, then every single thing that you would read in His Word is possibly not true. Because if this is meant to come from Him and it's authored by Him and it's inspired by Him, but He's not really who He says He is, then everything else about Christianity is up for grabs. That means that if you don't lock down that one simple truth that God is who He says He is and He's done what He says He has done, then you can make any decision that you want. There's no sense of morality. There's no sense of direction and focus and, 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 and what's right and, and what's wrong. You'll lack the discernment that you need to choose between what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And of course you'd lack the discernment because you have no compass that guides you in the right direction. If God isn't God, then you can disregard all the stuff that He says. But if He is God, then you better start doing all the stuff He says. Not just some of it. As long as you start with that orientation about what truth is. We kind of live in this world right now where people are just determining what's moral for themselves. And that's why we have such a shifting standard in our culture and our society. But if you're a Christian person, you're not swayed by what other people say. You just simply listen to what God says. So you've got to lock that truth down first. The next thing you need to lock down is your own integrity. Are you really being a person of truth? Are you honest about who you are? When you're home by yourself, you behave in a certain way because no one else is there. And then when your family gets home, you decide to act different because now you're surrounded by those people. And then when you get to work, your entire language shifts you find a vocabulary for words that you would never say at home because you're at work and it's a completely different environment. So you just shift and get into position. And then when you come to church, oh, you're a completely different person at church around your church friends. So you just shift and change depending on the environment that you find yourself in. But you don't have the courage and the boldness and the tenacity to be who you are in every single circumstance. You should be exactly the same person, but if you're leading, leading a double life, sometimes a triple life, you know, just shifting your standards depending on who's, who's around you, the truth is you're hiding stuff. And that means that you're not really living the truthful life that God has called you 
to live and ask you to live. They have this saying in Alcoholics Anonymous, if you don't want to slip, stop walking where it's slippery. Now that's just smart. Why see something that you know is slippery and say, let's head there? It doesn't make sense. So the first thing he says is, you got to lock down what truth is. Once you know what that is, it should orientate the rest of your life and you head in that direction. The second thing he says you need is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, apparently you need this righteousness to protect you from what the enemy wants to do to your vital organs, especially your heart. So you need the breastplate of righteousness. Let me ask you a question. How's your righteousness going, everyone? How perfect were you this week? How many mistakes did you make? And you don't have to think very long to figure out the problem, which is that if this is something that you need, you're not actually that righteous. You make mistakes. You have thoughts you shouldn't have. You engage in behavior you know you shouldn't engage in. You're just, at the end of the day, you're not even a really bad person. Some of you are just, you're just going to make mistakes. Why? Because you're not perfect. And if you think you are, you don't need Jesus. Now we really need to pray for you. And so you need the breastplate of righteousness. Oh my gosh, what are you going to do about that? How, how are you going to figure this thing out? I thought about trying to teach it to you, but it's probably just easier if I show you what I mean. So I need someone that reminds me of Jesus. So I choose Zach. So come on, would you put your hands together for Zach? So for this illustration, Zach will be playing the part of Jesus. He'll do it very well. And so I know that if I, I, I need to wear the breastplate of righteousness to protect me, the problem is I know that I can't put it on myself. I don't own that piece of equipment, so I need to get it from somewhere. If you, let me explain something about the gospel to you. If you think that the gospel is only about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, you're halfway there. You've half understood what the gospel is actually about. But there's a second side to this thing. See, the gospel is not just about Jesus paying the penalty for your sin, but when he died on the cross, he gave you the perfect life that he lived. And he gives that to you as an act of his grace. So even though I don't own a breastplate of righteousness myself, here's what Christ does. I want you to take that jacket off. This is what we call, there's a lot of whistles happening. This is what Jesus does to you. This, we, we, have a, we have a religious word for this. It's called justification. And it means that you wear the righteousness of Christ. See, this is something really important that you need to understand. Christian people should never be self-righteous. If you're here, gosh, I hope someone is here today and they're not a Christian because you should get this straight away. If you ever meet a self-righteous Christian, they don't get the gospel either because all of our righteousness doesn't come from how good we are. It comes from how good Christ was. And what he does is he clothes us in his righteousness. Now, I know that this doesn't belong to me. I know that this is not mine, but it's something that was given to me. 
And it doesn't seem to matter where I go. It's always with me. It's not mine. It doesn't belong to me, but I can take this thing anywhere. And whether I'm facing the enemy or I'm turning away from the enemy, it doesn't really make a difference. I've got this piece of righteousness on me all the time as an act of God's grace. So when you say, how are we going to figure out our righteousness? It was already figured out 2,000 years ago. You just need to learn how to put it on. So you don't ever have to worry about the attack that comes from the enemy where he says, you're not good enough. You're like, I already know that. See, he would love for you to think an inch deep and a mile wide. He would love for you to stop at that point and get you all depressed and you say, you're right, I'm not good enough. Yeah, Jesus knew that, which is why he died for you. And that's why he gave you his righteousness. So you'd never have to get it on your own. Why don't you put your hands together for Zach? What an incredible... Jesus, he was. He says, you're going to need some shoes. You're going to need shoes for your feet. He says, these shoes are readiness. Readiness. I remember reading this a couple years ago, and I'm like, yeah, shoes that are ready. In case something serious happens, and then we can run. Like a skate. That's why we need fast shoes. That's not what this is about, though, because it says that the shoes that we get are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. If you don't know what that means, let me explain it. Since there is peace between God and me because of what Christ has done, it means that my footing is sure. It means that my feet are steady. If you were going to get into, your, in, into a fight, footwork is very important. You need to make sure that your feet are firmly placed. You don't want to be slipping and sliding around when you need to move in and make a decision to move forwards and take ground and territory. And so if your feet are unsure, maybe it's because you don't know what Christ has really done for you. But when you understand the gospel and you realize that God loves you and is at work both in you and through you, see, there's nothing particularly intimidating about you spiritually to the devil, except if you have the presence of the Spirit of God in you, which you get through the gospel of peace. And now suddenly there's something intimidating about you, but it's all Him. And so your feet are ready to move forwards. So don't start to listen to the idea that, you know what, you don't have enough and you're not enough. It's like, we already know that. I know that I'm not enough spiritually to shift things, but when I pray to God and ask Him, He begins to shift them for me. That's because we have a great relationship. Why do we have that? Well, there is peace between us because of what Christ has done. He says, you're going to need something else too. You're going to need a shield. And He says, man, you're always going to need this. This shield is about faith. And it says that the shield is designed to be held up against, it says these words, the fiery dart of the enemies. I'll be honest, like when I read that, I honestly think about some scene in a pub with someone just playing cute little game of darts, but that's not really what it meant. In fact, instead of the words darts, it was more like fiery arrows. See, when an when a invading army would attack, they would shoot arrows that they'd set on fire. Oftentimes, the Roman soldiers would have shields that were made out of timber. And so they'd hold up that shield and it would protect them from the arrow, at least from the initial impact, because it wouldn't hit them. But because the shield is timber and the arrow is on fire, if it stays there long enough, it starts to sh set the shield on fire. And if the shield begins to get on fire, what would someone do with it? It's on fire. You can't hold it anymore. So they drop it. 
I can't tell you how much the devil would just wish that you drop this thing called your faith. Because if you drop this, then you're open for attack. See, the shield initially is meant to protect you from the point of impact. I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't already know this, as a person that follows Jesus, there are going to be so many points of impact that you're going to encounter. So many arrows that are going to come at you and they're going to be flying at you and your, your faith will be enough to stop the point of impact from hitting you. But you know what? If that thing sets your shield on fire and it begins to get too hot, you could drop it. What does that mean? Sometimes our faith will protect us from a circumstance or a situation, at least initially, but leave it there long enough when it begins to talk you out of what you believe. You believed that God was good, so you prayed for healing, but it didn't happen, and now you're questioning it. You're not sure if God is as good as He says He is. You believe that He has the power to affect change in your life, and if He has the power and He didn't do it, then why didn't He do it? And the more you begin to think about those questions, the more your shield begins to get on fire until the point where you say, I've had enough of this. I'm not doing this anymore. And I've seen so many people drop their shields, just drop their faith because there was a point of impact that over time began to take them out. I wonder if there is a serious discouragement in your life that would have the power to cause you to lose faith and to begin to retreat instead of taking territory and moving forwards. Just know the thing that the devil is at work at in your life, if you're aware of it, you can begin to do something about it. He says, you're going to need something else. He says, you're going to need a helmet. The helmet is the helmet of salvation. Because you know what? Spiritually speaking, the battle for salvation will often take place in a person's head. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, he died on a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. I think it's so fascinating that He died in a place called Place of the Skull because that's exactly where the battle for salvation takes place. It takes place in your head. And there's all these lies of the enemy where he would come in and he would say to you, God doesn't love you. You've messed up too much. If God really loved you, he would have fixed your problem right now. He would have fixed your circumstance. But he doesn't love you. In fact, you have no relationship with him. And it starts there and it begins to go to work on your heart and on your mind. You would never be good enough to earn the favor of God. If you ever think that, it's kind of true actually, but you never have to be because salvation isn't about your victory, it's about Christ's. And as soon as you understand that salvation is all about what Christ has done for you and you simply accept it and believe it, that should change everything about how you encounter that, that battle in your mind should change it because it's not about what you can do it's all about what he's done and so paul says hey you're looking pretty good you're wearing all the right pieces but if we put you on the battlefield right now the truth is you'd be like an arrow magnet because you've got no weapon you've got no nothing you you know to to fight with you're just going to stand there and absorb everything that's coming at you so he adds something and he says you got a lot of armor, but you need something to fight with. And he says, you need a sword. We're going to place a sword in your hand. And he says, the sword that you've got is the Word of God. Why do you think it's so difficult for so many Christians to just nail the basic fundamentals of reading their Bible? 
I think it's because the devil would love for this generation to be completely biblically illiterate so that when he starts to go to work on your mind with all the lies that he has in his arsenal, that, that eventually you just listen to it and you just believe it. He would love for you to not understand a thing about God and who He is and, and what He's done. And this is meant to be the thing that's going to protect you, but it doesn't protect you if all it does is sit in your study and gather dust. And it doesn't make you more spiritual to own one. And it doesn't make you more spiritual to carry it around, to walk into church with an actual paper version of the thing. That's not what makes you spiritual. It's, it's when you read it and you understand its truth. There's a great story about Jesus and Jesus is in the desert. He's under attack from the enemy. It's so interesting because He is the Son of God. And as He engages in spiritual warfare with the devil, He could have said a lot of things. I mean, after all, Jesus was fully God and fully man all at the same time, he, he was the impossible. He could have said a lot of things. But don't you think it's interesting that every time the devil would try to get at him, he would always say, it is written. And if it was good enough for him, it's good enough for you. I think Jesus just did that so that a few thousand years later, we would hear that story and recognize that all we need to do is become so familiar with the words of this book that we could continue to say, it is written. Don't feed me that lie. I'm not believing that. I'm not leaning into that. I'm not listening to that. It's written. I know what it says. I know who I am. I know who God is. That's it. It's settled. It's done. This war is over. But it only works if you begin to read it. So you got to start to get that in your mind and in your heart. If you're here, maybe you're at church for the first time and you hear this and you're like, man, that's, man, this is extreme. This is full on. This is extreme. No. No, it's not. It's only extreme if you don't understand the climate you're in. Because when you understand the climate that you're in, everything that I'm telling you tonight is completely appropriate. It seems reasonable. These are things that you should want to do. Some of you hear this, you say, I don't, I, don't want, I don't want to fight. I don't want to be in this battle. I don't want to be in this war. But I get that. I, I understand that. But you've got to dress for the climate that you're in, not the one you want to be in. And if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, this is where you are right now. And you've got to begin to think carefully about this because the enemy, he, he will try to move in. The more territory you give him, he'll try to move in. If you take a step back, he'll take a step forward. So here's my point. If you want to start making spiritual progress, stop giving up spiritual territory. Because every time you make a decision that goes in the opposite direction to everything that Paul is talking about, you're giving up some territory. You're giving up some space. You're letting him move in. You're throwing away the stuff that God has given you so that you could win this fight. A couple months ago, I was skiing with my son, Isaac. And we were skiing on this pretty steep run. It was a black run. And, and so that's the steep ones. And, and so anyway, there was this, on, on the right-hand side, it, it kind of went down a little more gradually, still steep. But on the left-hand side, it kind of pitched up so it was almost vertical. Anyway, he got himself into this position where every time he stood up, he kept sliding towards the really vertical sp spot, you know? 
and he'd stand up and he'd slide forwards and he'd sit down and he'd try it again and he'd slide forwards to the steep part and he'd sit down. And then I could see what was going on and he said, Dad, help. And I'm like, I already see it, I know. And so, so I got in my skis and I skied down and I, I came to him and I said, hey, I said, hey, Isaac, I want you to hold on to my stock. I'm going to drag you back to the center so that you're in a good spot to keep moving forwards. And, and as I asked him to do that, in his hand, he was holding his own stocks. And this is what he said. He said, oh, that's great. I guess I don't need these. And he went like this. And I said, don't throw those. And as I said that, he threw them. And I watched these things disappear down the run. I said, what'd you do that for? He said, well, I don't know. You, you were going to help me. So I just threw that stuff away. I said, we got to go get that stuff now. Because we need those for where we're going next. Stop throwing away the stuff that God has given to help you because it's not packaged the way that you want it to be packaged. You know, the truth is, is that everything that God has ever told you to do, He's only ever told you because He loves you. And people, and I don't want to offend anyone tonight, so if I do that, I'm really sorry. But it's only the spiritually immature people that hate what God has told them to do. And they say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not listening. I'm going to make my own decisions. I just want to be free. Hey, I want to be free. I want to be free to do whatever I want to do. I'm not going to obey all the things that God says. That's why I hate church because, you know, it's all about the rules and the regulations. Don't you get it? All the stuff that God has ever said to you has only been to protect you because He loves you. But if you don't get that, you're going to try and be free. You know what? I've seen people try to live a free life and end up so trapped. They ended up trapped in the circumstances that they created for themselves because they moved outside of the protection that God had for them. And what looked like freedom ends up being the very thing that begins to enslave them and trap them. The Apostle Paul finishes and he says, you look good, you're wearing the armor, you got a sword, you're ready. There's one more thing you gotta do. You gotta pray. There's just no way around it. You gotta pray. You could do everything that I've said tonight, but if you don't pray, it's no good to you. you. It'll be of some benefit, but in the long run, what you really need is the presence and the power of God. So he says, you've, you've just got to start praying. Why do you think it's so difficult for Christians to pray? It's because the enemy will do everything he can to discourage you from doing that very thing. He says, you've got to pray. You gotta pray. There's all kinds of prayers. The one that Paul talks about, the first thing he says, you gotta pray in the spirit. What's that? Well, that's actually praying in tongues. See, when the Holy Spirit fills somebody, it says that you will speak in other tongues, in other languages. And he says, this is something that's gonna help you. And I don't have time to explain what all of that is. And if you wanna know more, maybe ask me after the service. If you want it, we'll pray for you so that you can have it. But he says, you gotta pray in the spirit. There's, there's all kinds of prayers that you can pray. There's prayers of intercession. You can pray quiet prayers. You can pray loud prayers. You can pray in a group or you can pray alone. But the one thing that you've got to do is pray. And while I'm on the subject of prayer, can I tell you that it is not a spiritual gift. You don't read the spiritual gifts. And he says the gift of healing, the gift of miracles, and those that have the gift of prayer. No, it's just a basic fundamental of Christian living is to talk to God. And I know that the devil will try to discourage people from praying all the time. I don't want to say these words out loud because my words, they don't sound good. And when I pray, when other people pray, when the leaders pray and the pastors pray, they sound so good. But when I pray, it's kind of, I think it sounds dumb. Of course the devil wants you to think that. 
It doesn't matter what you say. All you have to do is say help and God will get it. He knows what you mean. When my son said help, I was already watching him and I knew what he needed and I was there in a minute. Do you think that God won't do the same for you? So stop getting caught up and wishing that you had eloquent prayers and just start to say something because when you say something, that's when things begin to spiritually shift. See, I told you there's nothing particularly intimidating about you except for the fact that the presence and power of God is in you. It's in the people that have asked Jesus into their life because He prepared them so that God's presence could fill them. So when you have a spiritual mountain that seems like it's in the way and there's nothing that you can do about it, you could look at it, you could physically try to do something about it. It's not going to work. So you pray. And as you begin to speak your words to God, He spiritually begins to shift that problem. See, that's the power of prayer is it leverages the authority of heaven. That's what prayer does. It connects you to a power that's so much greater than, than you have in and of yourself. So you could try to get around this thing any way you want, but the best thing that you could do is just pray. I want you to stand to your feet tonight. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.